it's time to welcome you to this week's I've Lost the Will to Live, It's So Frickin' Cold <laughs> episode of Spin Cycle. It's a very local conundrum <laughs> here in Melbourne because, as we know, in other parts of the world, it's quite the opposite. We are, of course, coming to you from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and that is why we're so cold. Not because of them, but because of that. That's where we are. Always was, always will be. I'm Jess Lilly and I am in the studio this evening with crikey reporter Charlie Lewis. How are you, Charlie? I'm not bad. I mean, I think of all the reasons that you could have cited to have lost the will to live this week. <laughs> I guess the, the, the temperature is like a, like a less existentially horror, horrifying <laughs> one. But we'll get into all the other, very, all the, all the other reasons you might want to... Oh, <laughs> don't worry. I am in the midst of a full existential crisis. <laughs> I rearranged my cookbooks this week. That's how bad it is. In about 15 minutes. Oh, um, we've got to say, obviously, um, we are missing Najma Sambul this week. She's unable to be here, but yeah. we'll be back next week. G'day, Naj. Miss you, Naj. I hope you're enjoying your weighted blanket <laughs> and your heating. In about 15 minutes, we will be joined by independent M- Tasmanian MP and Iraq war whistleblower Andrew Wilkie. We're going to be talking about what happens when whistleblowers go public this evening. And it is a very timely topic, given how much of that stuff is going on. Absolutely, yeah. And I think I'm, I'm really excited and, and very fascinated to talk to to Andrew about this issue, he's been a, he's been a very um, as, along with his own experience being a whistleblower, he's been a really staunch advocate for the rights of whistleblowers during his time in Parliament. So I think he'll have some some really fascinating insights into the issues around. And please don't tune out if you don't recognise these names, but uh, Bernard Clary, Witness K, David McBride, Richard Boyle, Julian Assange. These are all people um, who he's done a lot of work to try and help. And uh, and if you care about the media, then it's very important to know about their situation. I think people know who Julian Assange is. Well, yeah, I don't think... Yeah, I mean, there's been a few films made about him, so that's fine, but... Uh, Before we get to... That'll be in about 15 minutes, so you've got time to make a cup of tea, cocoa, hot chocolate, stoke the fire, whatever you need to do, add some layers, put your fur-lined boots on. (laughs) The cold has really got to me today. I don't know if you could tell. First up, let's talk about some other media stories this week. I think... um, There have been a few and we've been sort of um, chatting this evening about which ones... Which ones we bring up because there's it's not like there's an abundance of positive media stories to discuss, is there, Charlie? (laughs) No, there isn't, no. And I think the one that both of us uh, found ourselves somewhere between fury and just dispirited about was uh, the story on um, the Today programme which uh, stemmed from uh, issues around uh, the terminology used around new mothers or birthing parents uh, on on medical forms and the capitulation of the Labour Party to the kind of confected outrage about that. I've been a birthing parent twice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I... um do you know what was really funny? Just recently, I so I, the last time, the last time I was a birthing parent, and it will be the last time, hundred <laughs> percent. The last and final time. The last and final time, I was a birthing parent was uh, three years ago, 
And I only just recently um, managed to get to those forms from the hospital to actually register the birth of my child. Right, right. <laughs> and until a couple of months ago, that child was illegitimate, did not exist, did not have a birth certificate. There's and, a lot of admin that goes along with that stuff. Well, not only that, you were you and your experience as a woman was erased by the question being posed <laughs> in the way that it was. Well, I, this is... I assume that must have been a horrible burden for you. <laughs> I mean... You can think about nothing else, I'm sure. I did not have those forms that we spoke off. But I, what I, the point I was trying to make before I made it about me was, um, but I will continue, Charlie, because I have given birth. Did I tell you that? No. <laughs> um, though the thing is, there is admin and there are a lot of forms and it's the last thing you want to do. But having said that, um, could you imagine if, so what we, do you want to just go a little bit more into detail about what we're talking about? Well, I mean, <clears throat> The the uh, the Today program yes ran a, ran a segment sort of based on a um, what they described as a young mum uh, and her concerns around this form referring to birthing parents rather than specifically the gender term mothers. Did it first start with the Daily Tele article? Oh, it did. I'm so sorry. Yes, it started mm. with the Daily Telegraph. It was then um, picked up picked up by by uh, the Today Show, who yeah. chose to platform. Uh, just an inauspicious yeah. new mum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, by and, the name of? By the name of Sal Grosvenor. Mm. Um, and if... What, a, a, what's she done? Well, I mean, she's, she's, she's I don't want to... You know, she's not defined by any one particular uh, passion or interest, but it, but it would be worth noting that she did create a... Um, a an app called Giggle, mm. uh, which has uh, gotten some attention because of the uh, active way that it seeks to exclude uh, trans women. It was a it's a, a women's only app. Women's only women's only cis women's only. Yes, um, uh, women's only. And then when it was challenged to define women, went hard. Yes, yes, and and this is the kind of thing. I mean, I think you know we were talking about it off air about how. We've recently had one, maybe not the definitive, but 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 a referendum on how much people give a shit about these issues. Yeah, exactly. How much it defines where their vote goes. That was done in Tony Abbott's old seat of Boringa, where Catherine Deves tried to win it back for the Liberal Party and was was beaten even more savagely than Abbott himself was by uh, <laughs> incumbent independent um, Zali Stegall. Uh, the well, the, the, she this so this this um, Sal is pretty much she's Catherine Dave's of but for another sort of you know a different demographic si- I suppose yeah um, similar thing similar vibe similar arguing the similar points mm. um, and it doesn't take all that much research to find this stuff of out course not. before you decide whether or not you're going to make make present this person as a good faith actor talking uh, from a dispassionate point of view about an issue that affects them. Um, it's very clear that that's not the case with her, that she is someone who has a fixation on this, as many of the people uh, that are platformed by our media on this issue um, are. And I think what, what, there's, a, there's a lot of ways in which this is like quite actively depressing. One is obviously the, the ongoing... Um, why it suits the media to act like recent history hasn't happened, why we haven't, as though we haven't spoken about these things, to act as though it's new to the whole discussion around trans issues. Uh, it's because it's just, it's just good, easy content. It's just, it just gets clicks. People watch it. Even if they get mad at it, they engage with it. Uh, there's that. And then obviously um, 
which I think we should as well. We when, it, but when you say good content, it's re, it's content that is responded to. It's re, it's content oh, yeah, that gets yeah. numbers. It's not good content as when, in when quality I, content. Oh, for sure, for sure. I think <laughs> uh, hopefully my, my <laughs> what I mean by good content is <laughs> hopefully that's clear to, to our listeners. Uh, yes, it's effective content, shall we say. Mm. It, it it reaches eyeballs and it gets engagement. Um, the other thing, uh, which is more of an aside, uh, is I really had hoped I would get a bit further into a change of government oh, before I felt this depressed about it. Um, well, let's before we go there, I do want to make a couple of points about um, about this because it it's it's whatever you call whatever type of content you call it, it's incredibly cynical content, and mm-hmm. it you know the same. I know we've talked about this. Obviously, nine papers and nine television are different branches of a media organisation. However, they are still part of the same media organisation. And last month um, there was an article in the Nine Papers by Wendy Tui and it was a really um, a really good article, um, an interview and a, and a sort of feature about a, a trans man called Kim Lee who talked about his own birth experience mm-hmm. and everything that was wrapped up in that and the, you know, the pitfalls and the problems but also obviously the fact that he was able to do that with his partner, amazing. Um, but but the thing that – it was a beautifully well done – you know, obviously Kim trusted Wendy to tell um, his story and it was really good piece and it, I remember when I read it, uh, I was like, oh, wow, okay, we've managed to... This is great because that whole hoo-ha with Catherine, yeah. Catherine Deves has shown our media that no one gives a shit about that and actually let's just tell... Let's just, just incorporate the, whole, the, the these... The human stories. Yeah, as what inc- it is to... A regular human story yeah. Yeah. and what it is and there's no drama and there's no sensationalism and it's just a regular you know, profile of someone and their challenges, you know, going through IVF and all of that sort of stuff. And, yes, there were some real challenges that Kim talked about in terms of, um, of course, there was some prejudice that he faced and, of course, you know, there were it, it, there was some real kind of trauma associated with, with it mm-hmm. because there are some parts of, you know, the experience that people weren't necessarily very sympathetic to him and that sort of stuff. This form <laughs> that you sign in a hospital, going back to my own experience, you don't care what it says. Birth parent, mother, mm. you wouldn't even notice. You're, you just want to, you are like physically you've been through a lot. You now have this small human that you have to take <laughs> yeah. care of. You're going to sign your name wherever the dotted line is and move on. But for someone like Kim, based on the experience that he had as a um, as a trans man who who gave birth and became a parent with his partner, mm. that would ha- that inclusivity means yeah. an enormous one, amount. One less dignity to yeah, have to face in the whole process. Yeah, just that form actually is yeah. meaningful. To to change that from birthing parent, which no no one else is going to no. notice unless unless you're unless you're someone like Sal Grover or or uh, <sighs> and I sorry I, I mangled her surname previously it's Sal Grover not Grover my apologies well, you know. but um and you're looking out for again content you're looking out mm. for something that you can uh grab some some eyeballs with and uh as you say it is not something that mm. is a fixation of most people but getting back to the media perspective so for the fact for the fact that nine papers did this very positive story last month and then, then for, you know, 
the Today Show to to go back right into that position and not find someone like Kim who is obviously on their books, <laughs> for want of a better word, yeah. you know, is yeah. a contact of their broader media company and not tell it from their perspective but to actually find an anti-trans activist or to tell their story without checking probably is more what yeah. happened. They haven't gone and sought her out. Sal's probably put herself out there to tell this story. It's just it's just depressing. It's horribly depressing. It's horribly depressing. And, 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 and again, it takes a second to check. Yeah. It, take, it takes a second to check what that person's background is. Um, before, you, I mean, and again, it's like well, even if you want to put the kind of, and I guess it's a bit of a legacy media argument. These are issues that ought to be ventilated if it's a concern of people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, mm. we know we know these arguments. Um, then, if you're going to put out their views, maybe make a point of saying they've also got some form in this area, and that they're not just coming to this and suddenly being upset by it. And of course, and I think the other thing that we have to say, just to just to say why this is actually kind of significant. Um, Bill Shorten has uh, oh, yes. immediately come out and said, in response to this article, we're going to change what was the previous government's uh, take on these forms, um, which, so it does have concrete influence. Mm. And, uh, and again... This was a pilot. It, was a, it, wasn't a, it, wasn't a, it was just sort of a pilot rollout from the previous government to, to, to use the term birthing, birthing parent. Parents, yeah. um, and Bill Shorten has immediately capitulated. Yeah. Uh, so... There's a lot we can get into about about that, but I suppose we we should just stick to the media angle and say this these things have impacts. Well, it is a media angle because he tweeted in response to the Daily Telly. Yeah, yeah, he, he made it very explicit. This is this is uh, after after the dialogue that that article provoked. They decided that they didn't wish to have this fight mm. and they, they capitulated straight away, which is, again, very disappointing. Well, I think, you know, Leopard shows their spots. Very disappointed in you, Bill Shorten. I'm glad my electorate was rezoned. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm no longer in Maribyrnong. <laughs> On that note, it's <laughs> 16 minutes after seven. You are tuned to Spin Cycle with Charlie and Jess this evening. We will uh, be back in a moment after this song with Andrew Wilkie to talk about whistleblowers and the media. Please don't go away. Triple R on FM, digital, online, on demand, podcasts and via the app. So earlier this month, the new Attorney General Mark Dreyfus did what many civil libertarians, legal professionals and a remarkably small number of journalists had been calling for for years. He brought to an end the prosecution of lawyer Bernard Clary. Clary was dragged through the courts for nearly four years for, along with his client, former intelligence officer known only to the public as Witness K, for blowing the whistle on the Australian intelligence services bugging the East Timor cabinet in 2004, allegedly to give Australian companies a commercial advantage in negotiations over resources in the Timor Sea. It's one of the great scandals in Australian political history, and while Labor did slowly find their voice on the matter, no one was a more reliable advocate for the pair in Parliament than our guest tonight, Andrew Wilkie. Andrew has been the independent MP for the Tasmanian seat of Clark, formerly Denison, since 2010. He's been a huge campaigner for transparency and the rights of whistleblowers. And indeed, before his time in Parliament, he came to prominence in 2003 after resigning from his job as a high-level intelligence officer and speaking out against the invasion of Iraq. We are extremely pleased to have him here tonight. Andrew, welcome. Hello, Charlie. Pleasure to be on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I mean, in general, I suppose this is maybe a bit of a broad question, but what was your reaction to the news that the case against uh, Bernard Clary had been dropped? Oh, look, absolute delight. And I think I give voice to many Australians when I say 
um, it was just a nonsense that the government was pursuing Bernard Clary that they uh, that they did witness Kate. Uh, you know, when you boil the whole uh, spying on Timor Leste down to its bare bones, uh, the villain in all of this was the Australian government, who in 2004 um, ordered the Australian Secret Intelligence Service to bug the Timor Leste Parliament building to to give Australia an unfair a commercial advantage during the negotiations over the uh, the treaty for the Timor Gap. Um, you know, they were meant to be good faith negotiations on a business venture, and you know, there we were with uh, spies eavesdropping. And and sure enough, uh, we got a great deal. That first uh, treaty with Timor Leste was a great treaty for Australia. It gave us a a disproportionate share of the of the um, of the wealth of the royalties of the tax. Um, so, you know, why we put again in Australia, and this seems to be a bit of a, a, a bit of a habit in Australia, we, uh, we go after the people who do the right thing while the villains um, go scot-free. Well, well, exactly, yeah. And, I, and as you say, there are so many ways in which this, uh, this whole process was a bit of a nonsense and, and a, a sort of an outrage. Uh, but I guess sort of flowing on from that, this is not the only high-profile whistleblower case that we have in, in Australia in the last couple of years. We obviously have Richard Boyle, who spoke up about uh, the Italian tax office and some of the heavy-handed tactics that they use. We have David McBride, who leaked information about uh, alleged war crimes to the ABC. And as I understand it, those two prosecutions are kind of still in train. Um, are you at all optimistic about the chances that Labour will also bring those cases to a conclusion? Well, look, I, you know, I, I hope. Um, my observation is that uh, Anthony Albanese and Mark Dreyfus are, are, are decent people, um, although the, the early signs are not uh, encouraging. Mm. Um, it was uh, almost as, as soon as uh, Mark Dreyfus, the Attorney-General, had finished talking about Bernard Clary that he, he made it clear that charges would not be dropped against Richard Boyle uh, nor David McBride. And just, just to remind listeners, um, Richard Boyle is the former ATO uh, official mm. who spoke up about the, the dodgy debt recovery processes in the tax office. And of course Which caused massive destruction to so many people's lives. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, he, tried to, he tried to pursue that through every single internal avenue, which I guess is the process that whistleblowers follow before they decide, no, this is too big, I must go public. Yeah, which is in fact one of the problems um, the official... A response to whistleblowers in Australia. When, when you look at the Public Interest Disclosure Act, which is the federal legislation which is supposed to protect uh, federal, well, whistleblowers in the federal um, public sphere, the, the public servants, and also the changes that were made in recent years in the Corporations Act uh, to give some protection to whistleblowers in the corporate sector. Uh, in both cases, whistleblowers are expected to jump through every imaginable and unimaginable hoop before they might get some protection for speaking out. Mm. But, of course, it doesn't always work that way. No. Uh, sometimes a whistleblower has just, just got to stay quiet and then, you know, blow their cover and come out in a spectacular way. And, and the way laws are in this, in this country at the moment, they don't get protection. Um, the, the, I, must, I must add, Charlie, the, the other key whistleblower, David McBride, just to remind your listeners, um, he was the former, get this right, the former army officer who uh, allegedly gave to the ABC 
hard evidence of uh, Australian Army war crimes in Afghanistan and became the basis for the what were called the Afghanistan Files, I think, on the ABC, which is sort of the, the, the precursor to the whole... The, the Brereton Report, yeah. yeah. That's right, that's right. And, um, uh, again, the government is refusing to charges against David McBride. And, you know, I, you know, I look at Bernard Clary with his cave, which had boiled David McBride. They're the heroes in all their stories. Mm-hmm. But in Australia, uh, you know, I'm happy to tease us out if you want to go there, Australia whistleblowers are often demonised and certainly the official response is to see them as the, um, as the wrongdoer. Well, the irony there is even if their actions lead to positive change, they still get punished, right? Because... That's what I don't understand about whistleblowing. Is the the argument that the public ought not to know what the army, for example, is doing in their name overseas or, or yes, what the tax office is doing to recover recover debts? Um, You know, we fancy ourselves in Australia as being a very uh, advanced country with a... um, you know, a very clear understanding of the rule of law and justice... Um, But we actually are not, uh, let me get my words right here, compared to countries like the United States, the United Kingdom, countries in Western Europe, we're actually, I don't know, decades behind, behind when it comes to our response to whistleblowers. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm reminded that in 2002 in the United States, Time magazine, um, they had, uh, they had this thing every year, um, sort of time person of the year. Well, at least they did used to have that practice. 2002, they had three whistleblowers as the Time magazine people of the year in the United States. And there was a corporate whistleblower, there was someone over 9-11 and someone else detailed now. I mean, that would not happen in Australia even now, Mm. 20 years later. Well, I'm interested, that is um, a good segue given the timing, because in 2003, (laughs) you resigned... (laughs) From you know, like you um, also blew the whistle in a way. You resigned over, from your job over the Iraq War, and um, it caused um, some great angst with the government. When you knew that was going to go public, what what was your um, sense of the response from the media? Did you think they would have you have your back, or that you would be hung out to dry, or a little bit something more nuanced in between? Um, well, I'll tell you what, I got myself into more strife than the early settlers, I know that. <laughs> uh, the, the fact that I ended up surviving and prospering was um, was a pleasant surprise and uh, it set me apart from most whistleblowers in Australia. Um, most whistleblowers in this country, um, they set out to do the right thing uh, and they end up in terrible strife. Um, you know, the, the, the typical whistleblower in Australia as witness to serious misconduct, whether it be uh, in the corporate world or local government, state government, territory government, federal government, whatever, um, the security services, uh, and they speak up and they may or may not get a little bit of media and then after a day or two, the circus moves on and they're, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're, uh, they're perhaps unemployed, um, they're perhaps facing criminal charges, uh, you know, quite often relationship problems, families break up. Um, the, 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 the rate of suicide among whistleblowers is markedly higher than the, the baseline in the rest of the community. 
Um, so in some ways, I'm not the best person to talk to about whistleblowing because, um, well, because I've got myself, I've got myself terrible strife. I've survived <laughs> and, and prospered. I've been in the federal parliament for 10 years. But it's still interesting to hear that because I think inherently what I'm interested in in is that whether you like it or not, as a whistleblower, once you get to that point where you decide I have to say something, you know, I've, it's got it's beyond personal recrimination. You have to enter an uneasy pact with the media somehow because publicity is the only thing you've got. Really, that's the only defence you've got. You can only hope that, you know, in the the you know in the wash, the act will somehow be determined. Uh, as being worth it for for the information yeah. that you've made public, so yeah. I'm yeah I'm interested to know about that relationship with the media. Yeah, look, you, you touch on some really important points here, and um, uh, even in recent times when when I talk publicly about how we clean up Canberra, and I talk about what sort of integrity measures are needed, I'm very careful to say that a federal integrity agency is great and we need it but it's only one of many building blocks mm. another crucial building block is obviously greater whistleblower protection and media freedom laws because a whistleblower probably most often has no voice unless the media give them that voice yes and and, and take my case so so there i was back in early 2003 i'm working in um it was called the Office of National Assessments. It's now called the Office of National Intelligence. Mm. Basically, Australia's senior intelligence agency that hoovers up all of the, the secret and open source information it can get its hands on and, and analyses it and gives advice to the government. So I'm, I'm in there working, doing that job, and uh, I was getting ready for um, the looming invasion of Iraq. And it was clear to me that the Australian government Justification for the invasion was uh, was dishonest. Mm. Um, so I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but I think it's necessary to actually get to the answer about the role of the media. Um, so it was clear to me, and I said as much publicly that um, Iraq didn't have this massive arsenal of weapons of mass destruction, and nor was it cooperating with uh, the terrorism either. And Osama bin Laden, and uh, the government was being, you know, I allege was being dishonest. Um, I suppose I won the argument in the end, but that's by the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, You've um, indicated it eventually. But, uh, what, yeah, dis- I, what destruction I, I, in between? Hey? What destruction mm. in between before the vindication? I mean, that's the thing that's so infuriating, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, who knows how many people died? Mm. I've, I've seen estimates bidding from over 100,000 to over a million. Uh, the country of Iraq, the nation of Iraq was destroyed. And, of course, in that destruction, the, uh, the seeds were laid for the rise of Islamic State. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many, many years of terrorism around the Middle East and around the world. Um, but anyway, so I, I'm witness to this and I thought, right, um, not only am I not prepared to continue to, to serve this or that government, um, I, had to, I had to ventilate, I had to, I had to speak out publicly about my concerns, so I, I um, very carefully approached uh, the journalist. Some people would remember Laurie Oakes, oh, uh, yes, of uh, a, a very uh, famous journalist. He's retired now, but he, well, you go back a couple of decades, and he was, mm. you know, number one. The doyen of the uh, press gallery, <laughs> I think he was known as. <laughs> well, that's right. That's right, and and uh, you know, he's 
with many broken stories. Um, so I went to him and uh, I worked uh, secretly with him over a couple of days, over a weekend, and then the next week, just blue, he, he had it on the front cover of the, um, I think it was the Bulletin magazine and uh, the breaking news that night on Channel 9 and different things. Now, my concerns and what I set out to be would have amounted to absolutely zero if I didn't have that big journalist through a big media outfit to get my concerns out there. And, and not only, and I think there's, there's another point here, not only did, did it get the information out in the slab, it was the only thing that was protecting me mm. from right, yeah. being um, arrested and jailed because arguably I had breached um, uh, at least the Crimes Act. Mm. Which which does, um, I suppose, I mean, following on from that, you, and you have hinted it a little bit before, and obviously you haven't got to recount every detail of it, but I'm very interested, um, as someone who, you know, thinks about this as deeply as you do and has your own experiences of it, what needs to change in Australia? What what better protections ought there be for whistleblowers? How does, what, does that, what does the mechanism look like as far as you understand it? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, uh, Charlie, for a start, there needs to be a mindset, a change in this country that... We need to, as a community, understand that um, most whistleblowers are doing the last thing they want to do, mm-hmm. but, they're, but they're, they're confronting a truth so or a dishonesty so shocking that they have to speak up. There is nothing easy about blowing the whistle. Um, you don't get fame. You don't get money. Um, you know, you, you normally lose your job and uh, you're breaking some law or something. So we need a change in mindset. If we're not going to have a, mind, a change in mindset, we at least need a change in the laws. Now, every state and territory has whistleblower protection laws of different degrees of effectiveness. At the federal level, where I'm obviously focused, our protections are weak. The Public Interest Disclosure Act, which, uh, to her credit, great credit, Julia Gillard brought in, towards the end of her time as Prime Minister. Um, it's it's complicated and convoluted. There are too many hoops a whistleblower has to jump through before they might get protection. And crucially, it doesn't include um, security and intelligence information or members of Parliament and the staff. So it actually carves out the most likely area for the biggest scandals. So that needs to be improved. Mm. Um, more recently, uh, during the LNP government, I can't remember which Prime Minister, but um, the uh, Senator Rex Patrick from South Australia, um, he drove changes to the Corporations Act, which gave or gives some limited protection roles in the corporate sector. But in both cases, they're weak. Now, uh, either we change the Public Interest Disclosure Act and fix it, and and fix the Corporations Act, or we come up with a whole new uh, set of laws and. Um, there has been uh, much discussion about the Federal Integrity Agency that the government has promised and whether or not that legislation includes protections and even what you might call a whistleblower commissioner who has set up to to, to, to look out for and protect whistleblowers. Right, right. I, I, don't, I don't care how we get the outcome, but until we have, have some sort of change, significant change in this space, then... 
whistleblowers will be in strife in this country. Andrew, can I take you back <laughs> to 2003? So you met Laurie Oakes and I, you had obviously by that stage um, realised that you were, your job, if you, you know, you'd made the choice to um, go public over your job. Did you, did you seek any protection from, from the media organisation that, you know, wherever Laurie was or did you simply just want to get your story out there? What was your... I'm just interested to know if you sought any sort of support or security from that media relationship or, to, to your earlier point, this was simply a way to, you know, the more public it was, the harder, I suppose, it might have been for, you know, um, for the recriminations to happen. Um, well, there was no mechanism to tap into. There was no protection to seek. Mm. Um, at the time, uh, it, it was, I think it still is. Uh, in fact, I think they've actually increased the penalty. Uh, there was an offence uh, under the Crimes Act for a public servant to disclose any information that obtained in the course of their employment. I think it was two years imprisonment. Right. So there was... Uh, there was um, Which is anti-whistleblowing at its core. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, um, and, I, and in fact, um, since then... Um, I don't know which one of the governments has increased that penalty to make it an even um, worse offence for a public servant to disclose mm. information obtained in their employment. Um, there was no whistleblower laws, protection laws. Um, uh, so, you know, I, 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 I actually planned on the worst um, before I went in to the Director General of ONA that afternoon and said, I've gone to the media and here's my letter of resignation. Um, I actually got all my affairs in order. Mm. It's a bit grim recounting it now, but I, 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 I literally got... I paid my bills. Um, I gave a, uh, a spare key to my apartment to a friend um, who had a bit of an inkling of what was going on. Uh, within my office, I put everything down to throw all the rubbish out and got everything organised in my safe so that people could come in and make sense of it and tidy it up. I, I figured it was likely I would be... Det- um, so, yeah, I, I planned for the worst. As it turned out, though, because um, because I caused such a splash <laughs> and Rory Oaks did such a good job, almost instantly I had a... I, I actually uh, unwittingly achieved a sort of a, a level of protection from my profile. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, by the day after I blew the whistle, I, I, if the government had arrested me, I would have been a political prisoner. To that point, it'd be interesting to talk about Julian Assange because when you talk about, you know, public profile <laughs> and whistleblowing, that there is no higher, I suppose, you know, in this in, in the current in, 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 age. in the current era, he is the he is the kind of iconic whistleblower. Yeah, and um, unsurprisingly, I'm, I'm I'm very interested in Julian's plight, and um, I even went and visited him just before COVID in uh, Belmarsh Prison, mm. and. Uh, it turns out I'd actually met him, which he, when I visited him in Belmarsh, he really reminded me that at the 2004 Melbourne Writers Festival, um, where I was a speaker, because by that stage I'd written a little book about my experience experiences over Iraq, this uh, young, blonde, 
blonde-haired, I think, fellow. I vaguely remember him coming up to me after my uh, session and introduced himself and he wanted to talk to me about how, how do we set up a um, some sort of safe mechanism for others to speak up. Wow. wow. Yeah, I, 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 I totally forgotten this until Julian reminded me. In, in <laughs> He'd had a lot of time to think about it. <laughs> He'd had a lot of time to think about it. So this is February, uh, February 2020. And he said, you know, we've met before. And I thought, oh, God, I seem to have. And uh, it turned out that I was, a, I was just a, a very, very tiny bit player in the in the. In, in the formation of WikiLeaks, yeah. That's yeah, an incredible convergence of, of yeah, it, historical it, 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 moments, yeah, isn't it? Is it? Incredible. Um, <laughs> uh, look, to my mind, uh, there's no greater hero in this country than Julian Assange. Yeah. Uh, and the the persecution of him, well, by the British, UK and Australian, effectively, which is unconscionable. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people, everyone's got a view on Julian Assange, and there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation swirls around him, but when you, again, to use that term, when you boil it right down, the attempt by the US to extradite him from the UK is, in essence, about WikiLeaks revelations in 2010, which was when they revealed the, the hard evidence of US war crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan and mm-hmm. Bay. And uh, the US to this day wants to get it even and the US and UK are putting their bilateral relationships... Sorry, the, uh, sorry, the uh, UK and Australia are putting their bilateral relationships with the US the rights uh, of, a, of, a, of a journalist and an Australian citizen. And, um, and uh, by the way, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more, but um, following on from that, you talked before a little bit about how before we can even have a, a, a change of the laws, we need a little bit of a change of the mindset in Australia when it comes to whistleblowers. Um, I, I was interested to know if you had any thoughts on the role of the media in a case like Assange, because uh, maybe this is unfair, mm-hmm. but it does seem to me a little bit like the media in Australia and elsewhere profited... They're very cool on him. Where they, and they profited a huge amount from the revelations that he brought to light. They put, put all these stories out, in the, especially around 2010, 2011, and it just seems like in the time since then that, there, that really there ought to be a quite concerted effort from the media in Australia and elsewhere to really push for the freedom of Julian Assange. And instead, we actually get quite a lot of kind of quite cool coverage. And, and in some cases, the argument that he is no journalist, he is more of a troublemaker. I don't know. As I say, I'm not sure if you have any particular views on that, but the, I guess the role of the media would have in a case like Assange's. Uh, look, I have strong views on this, um, and I'm I'm critical of many in the Australian media for, uh, although it has changed, it has changed in the last year or two. Um, but for a very long time, many Australian journalists refused to uh, acknowledge that Julian Assange was a journalist. Mm-hmm. You know, he he, he did best I know he didn't do a journalism degree, he didn't join some professional organisation, so he's you know, he wasn't a journalist, um, which is a curious position to take. I mean, Julian has... He's a, he got a Walkley Award for journalism. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> Frequently <laughs> forgotten. <laughs> Walkley Award he's winner. A walk, yeah, he's a, he's a Walkley Award-winning journalist uh, and publisher through, mm-hmm. uh, through WikiLeaks. Now, this, this has been recognised much more often overseas in other countries where... Um, a vast number of journalists see Julian in that way, but less so in, in Australia. Um, but, but 
Charlie, that I think that has, oh, I know, that has changed in the last couple of years. And in the last couple of years, more and more Australian journalists have come on board. And I think that helps to explain why uh, Julian has increasing support in Australia. If only from people who say, no, I don't like that man, or I don't even understand the issue, but surely this has gone on long enough. Well, that's the thing. I think there's... Um you know, you don't have to like him <laughs> at all or, you know, I mean, he's a very quirky guy. He's been accused of some pretty terrible stuff. But that's kind of an aside to the situation that, That's he's not what in. he's being prosecuted for anymore. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. It, it has nothing, all of that other stuff has zero to do with the US extradition. And also, what does it say about your support of your own industry in Australia if you are willing to throw someone under the bus for that? It's just yeah. like, Jesus, Someone man, facing like, 175 years in yeah, prison. Yeah, totally. And, and yeah, also a decade yeah, of torture. Uh, and yeah, under yeah quite so. Mm. Quite so. And, in fact, I, I take, uh, I'll take this opportunity, uh, again, to remind Australian journalists, if... If, if you if you accept that it's okay for the US to claim wrongly global legal this is a term global legal extraterritoriality, <laughs> don't wow! Try to say that after a couple of years. <laughs> um, if, if you accept that the US has global legal jurisdiction, and that in this case it's a right for an Australian journalist to be sent to the US because he offended the US establishment. That's chilling. You know, are we setting a precedent that, uh, you know, what happens if, um, I don't know, uh, some government in the Middle East, let's say the Saudi Arabia... Yeah, government, yeah, Mohammed bin Salman. If an Australian journalist offends them, does, does that mean the Australian, if an Australian journalist offends them, does that mean the Australian government will roll over? Um... Yeah, no, you'd sort of hope, you know, hope not, and you'd hope that they would find their voice on, on that issue if they did. Well, interestingly, there was um, an incident this week of an Australian journalist, and I'm quickly Twitter surfing, I should have waited until I'd got it up, um, who was in Afghanistan, and she made some reports uh, about... Um, Education and women in Afghanistan while she was there and uh, a very weird apology appeared on her Twitter page and I'm scrolling uh, as I try and find this. Anyway, she was, as she obviously reported um, hours later once she had left the country that that was done under the orders of the government, otherwise she was going to be imprisoned. And the thing is, you know, we can't expect our journalists to go and report from around the world mm -hmm. if you're not going to protect them. Uh, absolutely right. Of, of course, the Julie Assange matter becomes even more complicated when you consider that he's, he's not liked by people on the so-called left. Yeah, mm -hmm. of course. I find uh, him very unlikable, but <laughs> I don't think that's uh, not the really point. Not the issue, is it? That's oh, not yeah. the point. <laughs> no, no that, that's exactly right. It's not the point at all. But, um, you know, Anthony Albanese, uh, I, I think, I, I, I guess, I assume that Anthony Albanese sees the nonsense of all this and wants uh, Assange to be brought home. But yet there are people within the Labor Party, and this is the same in the UK, there are people in the US, uh, Democrat, sorry, the US, 
people in the US, uh, in the Democrats, who continue to hold Julian Assange responsible for uh, Hillary Hillary Clinton being defeated by Donald Trump because because of the Democrat National Convention emails. Now, I I say to these people, hang on, the fact that he, he exposed the Republicans for war crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan and he reported emails in the public interest about the Democrats. Well, that suggests he's nonpartisan mm-hmm. and he's actually acting as an objective nonpartisan media outlet. Um, but also, you don't have to agree with everything he's done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's. But you do have to. You do have to see the merit in WikiLeaks publishing the collateral murder video. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, there, there is uh, that grainy black and white image of a US attack helicopter gunning down civilians in Iraq, including Reuters journalists. Yeah. But that helicopter crew hasn't gone to jail. No. Yeah. But, mm. but Julian Assange is riding in Belmarsh. One Work of the uh, yes, no. I mean, it's 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 a while back now. But my my colleague Bernard Keane wrote an incredible piece, maybe about a decade ago, around the time that that uh, I believe Assange was initially uh, detained, um, listing all of the the war crimes that he had that had been brought to light because of Assange's work and the fact that mm. not a single person had been charged for any of them. Whereas whereas Assange now is is facing you know well over 150 years in jail for bringing okay. that information to light. Um, we, I mean, we, I feel like we've detained you long enough, Andrew, but I suppose just if you can do this in a terse, quick way. Good use of language there, Charlie. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, God, yes. Oh, that's, yeah, no, terribly clumsy. Um, no, so, look, I suspect that, and, and I know this is not really an accident, that apart from, you know, Assange and perhaps Bernard Clary, you know, names like Richard Boyle and David McGrath might be relatively new to our listeners and, and this might a lot of these issues might be a, a bit new to our listeners. Um, do you have any kind of, like, I suppose, advice for what can yeah. uh, what can the average person do to to help in this way? What can they what can they do to bring attention to these issues to put pressure on people? What would you recommend? Two points. Um, oh yeah, you go for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look, people could probably do more than they they might at first think. Um, you know, politicians follow the numbers. You know, when mm-hmm. when they see issues being kept alive in the in the the newspapers with the letters to editors, um, comments after stories online, uh, people ringing up talkback radio, people getting in touch with their local federal MP and demanding a meeting with their representative. Mm-hmm. Not a staffer, you know. You know, this keeps issues alive and, and politicians often, you know, they, they note this sort of stuff. Um, not, a, not a form email to their local MP, write a letter, write an email, ring up, I don't know, do, do whatever you can. Um, if we all go silent, then the issue disappears. Um, you know, politically, uh, um, you know, the some parties are better than others. Um, it is good that uh, the Labor Party is, is looking to establish a federal integrity agency, um, but it's bad that uh, they may not include any whistleblower protections with that. So, you know, we, we talk, talk to your local MP, express express your concern. And if you are yourself witness to misconduct, um, I'm not going to encourage you to be a whistleblower because it's too hard. <laughs> I was going to ask this question. What would you, anyone who's listening now, 
and just feeling the burn. <laughs> what would you say in this day and age to someone who was, con- apart from getting in touch with you, what would you say to someone who was considering exposing conduct that they see as so unfit they can't keep it quiet? Yeah. Surprisingly, I, I, I've, almost 20 years now, I've been a bit of a lightning rod potential whistleblowing. Mm-hmm. And I've probably had this conversation, oh, I don't know how many times, countless times, I've had, I've had the same conversation with people. I, I, I'd probably try and talk them out of it. That's interesting. Because, oh, no, there's, there, there's a punchline to this. I, 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 I try and talk them out of it because blowing the whistle in Australia often ends in tears. Um, but you know what? I, I think I end every conversation with, with saying that follow your heart and your conscience or you won't be able to be And... Um, which is a complete contradiction. So I, I, I leave people completely confused, and and I and uh, the melancholy moments, um, and I'll allow, I'll allow myself one right now is think about my own experience. If I'd got so close to blowing the whistle over the lies behind the Iraq War, if I'd got so close and then not did what I did, I know my life would have been much much worse. Mm-hmm. Than, than the way it played out. Uh, I, I frankly, I don't know if I could have lived with myself afterwards if I hadn't spoken out, knowing. So oh, yeah. that's amazing. You know, so I did what I did, and I'm, I'm delighted. Well, I'm delighted. I'm, I'm, I'm very satisfied that I did. I'm so glad and, that you are in our parliament. Our weird ass, <laughs> bizarre, crazy parliament, Andrew, <laughs> and that you have made it where you, as far as you have, and that you did speak out and that you mm. did blow the whistle because I'm sure every single time someone does, it, it paves the road for something else and, and we know that that cover-up is endemic and bad behaviour is endemic in all sorts of institutions um, and whistleblowers are just unfortunately necessary. Yeah, and unfortunately governments of all colours actually like secrecy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, you know, no government. I mean, it's interesting that it took until 2000 and what was it, 2013 for, the, for the federal public sector whistleblower legislation. You know, everyone, mm-hmm. governments of both LNP and Labor had resisted for for a very long time. Um, uh, so it's so important that people speak up. So, so important that people speak up. Absolutely. And, and, and when you speak up, you, you it, it does encourage others to speak up. And it's interesting that um, as, a, as, a, as a writing lot of whistleblowers, I've, I've had people come to me who have encourage them, help them to speak up, or I've, 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 in some cases I've tabled their information in the parliament and it's led to positive uh, change. For example, um, uh, with the Crown Casino. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yes, this is a... Oh, God, I wish we had another hour. This is a topic (laughs) I think we will return to. um, Some of your listeners might recall seeing on the telly the uh, um, a a few young men with a Aldi freezer bag full of cash... The, oh, my um, God. Remember that in the, one of the private uh, yes, rooms yes. in Melbourne? And, well, that, that 
the, the source of that video was a Victorian gambling regulator inspector who filmed that on his phone in one of the control rooms at Crown Casino. <laughs> and he, he brought it to the attention of his superiors who told him not to worry about it. He gave it to me. So he was a whistleblower. He gave it to me because as a, former, as a whistleblower myself, he felt safe to give it to me and I sought to table that, well, I did table that information in the parliament and it oh became God. crucial evidence in uh, Victorian Crown Royal Commission, the uh, WA uh, inquiry into um, Bear, Bear Crown Casino and in the New South Wales, uh, um, I can't remember the name, but the, the inquiry into uh, getting a casino in uh, New South Barangaroo. Wales. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. An incredible, yeah, example of, yeah. Of, of of how these things can work, Andrew. I'm, we cannot thank you enough for your time. That was an incredible interview. Unfortunately, our show is about thirty seconds from ending, so we do have to <laughs> we have to let you go there. We could have spoken for several more hours, I'm sure. We've been talking um, to Andrew Wilkie, MP, and, about uh, whistleblowing. Uh, and yes, again, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. And I'm sure that we'll have another excuse to talk to you again because it was a wonderful <laughs> chat. <laughs> so much. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Nadge Samble, at Lily Juice, and at The Shuffle Diary. You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via on demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this. <laughs>